0: You're listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations, and I'm Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Dave Hillis. Hi, Dave. Hey, Rick. Today we're gonna to talk about the table. We already did a whisper cast about this, introducing our uh, our special guest, but uh, give us a little recap of the idea of the table.
1: Yeah, I mean, we uh, we talked, Rick, about this notion that really the dominant um, sociological reality of Jesus' work um, came down to this very basic idea you know much bigger than miracles or sermons or parables was his uh, development of the table the table being that sociological reality in first century palestine that really things got done and if you were included at the table you were a part of the you know the power of be and if you weren't um then of course you weren't. And what Jesus did was he grabbed a hold of that symbol and uh, created a whole new set of people who were actually allowed to uh, participate in the table. Mm-hmm. And most specifically, uh, and this is what we wanna talk to Jean about, is his inclusion of women. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's a bit breathtaking when you begin to walk through and see the table that Jesus created and specifically the inclusion of women, and then what that began to do uh, to the you know the religious establishment of the day. So, well,
0: and quite appropriately, we are gathered around the podcast table right mm-hmm. now, so that's a good setting, and you had mentioned Jean, and you're talking about Reverend Dr. Jean Milliken, and let me give a little more formal introduction. We talked about mm-hmm. uh, who she was in terms of uh, her friendship with uh, Leadership Foundations, but formally, as an Episcopal preach, uh, I said preach, but I meant priest. But, you know, the priest does preach, okay? She's also trained in uh, pastoral psychology, and I think we'll pick that up with some of her language. You know, She mm-hmm. so, so beautifully uh, talks uh, to us about our health, and uh, she's a fellow of the American Association of Pastoral Counselors and uh, a graduate of the Candler School of Theology at Emory University and has an earned Doctor of Ministry degree from uh, Wesley Theological Seminary. And so, wow. mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Mm-hmm. Milliken for sure. Uh, throughout her career... She has served a number of Episcopal parishes, most recently a part time interim rector at St. Peter's Parish in Arlington, Virginia. And she also founded in 1989 uh, Pastoral Counseling Network, which is a a practice from which she uh, has counseled individuals and couples until her arrival arrival at St. Peter's in the fall of 2001. Uh, She has chaired the Commission on Human Sexuality for the Diocese of Virginia and also worked as an adjunct faculty and clergy mentor. To the students at Virginia Theological Seminary. Uh, For more than 20 years, she's been a member of the Faith at Work Board of Directors. And not only that, but uh, then you can maybe highlight her uh, uh, interface with Leadership Foundations and your relationship uh, as a friend.
1: Yeah. You know, I've said this probably many, many times already on this podcast, um, City is Playground podcast, but you know, you really need to acknowledge whose shoulders you stand on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, jean is one of those for me Uh, she uh, through her um, marriage to bill Milliken, bill being the founder of uh, communities and schools being on the board of directors for leadership foundations and being a very significant uh, person but jean equally uh, for me as just uh, president of leadership foundations has kind of taken me under her wing a bit and said dave um, this might be a really smart way to proceed moving forward and she has gently, lovingly, but very um, directly, um, you know, giving me great encouragement in terms of how mm-hmm. I'm trying to lead LF. And um, she speaks about many things, but then of course, specifically, um, you know, the inclusion of women, the feminine voice moving forward. So I, it's very hard for me to overstate um, how important Gina is. I, funny little story, Rick. I, mm-hmm. She and I had a chance a few years ago to read, uh, lead a workshop together um on kind of the interior life as it relates to doing urban work um and we're going to co-lead it and i get to the seminar and jean goes first and i'm now beginning to listen to her looking down at my paltry notes (laughs) and going i think if i was really smart here i would just say you know what jean pretty much captured everything i wanted to say um it was just as you know profound sense of just yeah. this deep water um, so doing
0: that with her was a was a bit of a wake up call to just you know her gift yeah it's great well we're certainly uh, thankful to her for uh, making the time to to spend with us and and mm-hmm. to share with our listeners so let's get her on the line absolutely well
1: jean Milliken, it is uh, great to have you on the city's playground podcast today and i want to uh, just begin by uh, thanking you for taking the time and uh, You know giving us uh, your thoughts your wisdom around what we think is a very very important subject moving forward. So welcome
2: Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me to participate in this.
1: That's that's great Well, I think to our listeners one of the ways uh, before we jump into our topic at hand that I wanted to um, uh Provide some context for how this Sidious Playground podcast even came about. Um, we had mentioned on the Whispercast, of course, that uh, Jean has been a very important uh, person to the Leadership Foundations, um, going back to, you know, really our inception, her relationship with Reed Carpenter, our founder, and of course, her husband, who's been a, a very uh, close companion of Reed's. Uh, is currently on the board of directors for the Leadership Foundation. So it was this last spring in Pittsburgh, uh, Mecca as we like to kind of describe it for Leadership Foundations, where we were having a conversation uh, with some of our Leadership Foundation, Leadership Council members, and we were talking about a number of different issues that we think are important to Leadership Foundations as we continue to see uh, our 70 plus cities in the world uh, become more like playgrounds rather than battlegrounds and it was really in the course of that conversation that we began to open it up for questions and answers and Here was uh, none other than dr. Jean Milliken sitting out uh, in the audience and she uh, again, very lovingly uh, but uh, I think uh, Precisely asked me the question Dave. Where is the female voice um, in? the Leadership Foundation Network moving forward, and in short, how do you ensure uh, that that voice is heard uh, as we move forward because cities becoming playgrounds rather than battlegrounds would clearly depend on that. And I just remember uh, being both um, thankful that Gene asked the question as well as giving me, again, further opportunity to reflect on one, how important that voice has been uh, for leadership foundations and who we are today, but how critical it is to make sure that that voice um, is at uh, the leadership foundation table moving forward. And it really caused me, Jean, and here I begin to to think with you about Um, What was the theological context for even such a question in the first place? And where my mind ran, of course, was just the importance of the table with regard to Jesus' work uh, in the Gospels. Um, I have argued in other places that I don't think there's probably anything uh, that was more radical uh, than what Jesus did in his ministry. And this includes, you know, miracles and healings and, you know, sermons like the Sermon on the Mount as um, The work he did around the table now the table being that great symbol in first century Palestine um, where uh, fellowship and relationship and intimacy was created and so when you think about it in that way and then you look at who Jesus invited to the table It's kind of like no wonder uh, they crucified him because he included uh, people who were never invited to the table uh, prior to, uh, to Jesus's work and Specifically of course uh, the role of women at the table So with all of that background Jean, I, I would love just to kind of start with a very general question and in your mind What was so radical about how Jesus used? Uh, the table uh, the image of the table with regard to his work uh, and the kind of uh, ministry he um, issued forth
2: Well, uh, I think that he he always treated everyone with respect and um, and gave them a voice. And um, mm-hmm. I think um, sometimes we get pulled away from an embodied theology by just being having it be in our. Um in our minds it's it becomes a mental process, and there was something about inviting people who were more connected, more embodied and I think women tend to be more embodied just because mm. just because of our bodies and you know caring children and um that that um made it makes it important i mean that's just one aspect of why. I think it's important to have women and and people from different cultures and races at the table
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean it kind of leads me uh, Jean to thinking I just would love to have you reflect a bit um, What would you say are some of the maybe the top reasons why? specifically the inclusion of women at the table was so difficult, both kind of in biblical times and then really, you know, with your role as being, um, you know, a a pastor in a church, um, why it was so hard for the church historic um, to include women at the table?
2: Well, I think the culture was such, it was a patriarchal society, and so um, women just didn't have a place at the table to really help. Well, at least it's not recorded so much about how women helped create an understanding of God, but Mm -hmm. it seems like what happened was that the names for God were not inclusive, Um, so God was Father uh, Mm -hmm. rather than more inclusive names like... um, Ground of Being or Creator or Holy One, you know, some of those other options that are mm-hmm. more inclusive, were not really what became the norm of of how we refer to God. Um, and then just just valuing the female experience, like I said earlier, just a, a more embodied theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole idea when psychology came into the picture, and people like Carl Jung and um, began to talk about the different ways that men and women um, process information, like men, it's in general. And now, let me just say that I, I think that both men and women have the masculine and feminine mm-hmm. in them and we're capable of, of expressing it all across the board. So I don't mean to be exclusive, but, but I think in general it's easier for men to focus and easier for women to be more diffuse and see how things are interconnected. Um, and so... Um, but there was no awareness of that early on, right? Um, right. And for women, power and authority has kind of been in our shadow selves um, because it wasn't really allowed to be expressed, except maybe in the home. So, um, so it's been in the shadow, and therefore we pass we pass on this lack of sense of individual power and authority
3: mm-hmm.
2: that's it, a healthy power and authority we don't we pass on the struggle to our children and we keep passing it on from generation to generation if we don't kind of claim bring it into light and figure out how mm-hmm. how i'm going to exercise my power and authority to be able to live out my calling in the world
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: so um, and then I think it depend- it has to do with the kind of ethic that we're gonna live out of, and so is it gonna be an ethic of dominance and competition, which I think was the the ethic um that kind of permeated the church and and the world in a way mm-hmm. um or is it going to be an ethic of friendship and nurture and discipline, which, and I think it's, you know, there's in some ways a place for all of it. But I think without an ethic of nurture and friendship, which is the character of wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it, that whole character that's in the Scriptures and has been there from the beginning with Shekinah being the feminine wisdom Mm -hmm. in the Hebrew Scriptures, and then, you know, Sophia in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. um, that, that bringing in that character of wisdom to... Uh, help us understand what it means to become friends with God rather than fearing God in a negative way. I mean, I think right. there is reason to fear God if we're doing stuff we shouldn't be doing, you know, but the <laughs> fear of that's a positive fear of God, I think. <laughs>
3: right, right, uh, <laughs> right. A
2: negative fear of God is that we're going to be punished and, you know, God is an angry God and going to, yep. you know, knock us over the head. So, uh, and I, I just like the ethic. Of yep. friendship and nurture and discipline, holding each other accountable as opposed to domineering out of fear. Yeah, um, well, you know, and of course, Jesus mm-hmm. is central to the whole thing. Yeah, um, you know, living out God's love and forgiveness and justice. So, yep. yeah.
1: you know, it's it's a, a, just a thought, um, Gene, and I'd love to have you to reflect on it. That. In light of the question I asked you, there's there is a strange irony um, in that um, You know the Genesis account of God uh, And God's creation of us is that we are you know male and female in God's image Um, and So a deep sense going to your point that really from the very beginning uh, There was always a sense uh, of the feminine and the you know masculine in the very creation of who we are. And then I <clears throat> think a little bit about this wild um, story in Genesis as well. And it's the, of course, story in Genesis 17 with uh, Abram and Sarai, and, you know, this uh, kind of sex slave from Egypt by the name of Hagar. Um, and there has been some really remarkable work done on this, how. Hagar, in the midst of uh, all of who she is, is the first person in the Scripture to name God, um, and whereby Hagar names God as the God who has seen me. And I, you know, I think about how ironic that is. That given that kind of tradition, as it relates to the importance of the female voice, um, how <clears throat> you know, in some ways, the church um, and religion lost that. Um, and that Jesus then was really recovering that in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of your thought as well? and
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah uh, I think Jesus I mean the invisibility of the female female voice and experience I think we've all suffered from mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so Jesus did um bless bless that that voice and women. So, yes. Yeah. Well, and when you talk about the Genesis story of being men and women both um, being there, there are two, you know, the two Genesis stories. Right. Um, I'm aware that one has been interpreted as, you know, women's job is to complete the man and fill in the gaps. And then the other is that we are partners created both
3: mm-hmm. in the image
2: of God and you um,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Born to express our gifts in partnership, and so I, that takes me to the whole idea of which scripture is going to be normative, um, because there insight. are some mm-hmm. really scary scriptures <laughs> about you know Lot giving his daughters to be mm-hmm. n- abused, but in order to protect male visitors. I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. a strain of really. Scary terrible stories about the, the mistreatment of women. Yep. But then there are other scriptures that would affirm that... Um that we can be partners, and women are of value. So I, I think we have to decide, and, and I think it's hard work that we have to do together
3: in, yeah, a, right. in a
2: community to decide which scriptures are going to be normative for us, and then how are we going to live those out together.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's beautifully said, and I, I oftentimes think about, um, well, two things. One is uh, H. Richard Niebuhr, had this fascinating comment many years ago where and of course he's the brother of Reinhold Niebuhr who's the more famous theologian but H. Richard Niebuhr wrote Christ and Culture which is considered a classic but he said this he said you know you have to decide if God is friend or foe before you Mm -hmm. study the scripture because the scripture will support either interpretation yeah and I just thought wow that I wish I wish there were a few more preachers. I knew that (laughs) remembered that Um, But then the sec the second piece was is James Allison who says as a result of your keen insight Thus Jesus is the hermeneutical principle in other words to get to you know that Text that might be a little bit toxic um, That the way you have to interpret it uh, is in light of this you know, Jesus hermeneutic is what he would call it because there we can trust that's the full expression of who God is and so he uses the Road to Emmaus story, you know where there's that wonderful line where Jesus beginning with Moses and the prophets You know, he interprets everything in light of who he is and the fact that the Christ had to come so I, I think your point about yeah, how you interpret the scripture particularly in light of uh the relationship to women is, is absolutely critical.
2: Right. And I think, I mean, I, I absolutely agree that Jesus is, is, has shown us what it means to be human and Jesus was male. So that's where Mm -hmm. I think the Trinity comes in with Hmm. the spirit being, having more of a feminine quality to it. Mm -hmm. um, So that it kind of, I don't know, it, it brings a wholeness, I think, to our understanding of who God is, um, to be able to see the Spirit as the one who helps us become friends with God and is more nurturing and comforting, you know, carrying some of those feminine qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so, and Jesus is... is how we know what it means to be a human being in relationship to God and
3: right. that's
2: why I like i like the ground of being as a as a name for God because in the ground of being is both male male and female masculine and feminine it's all of that and then we're born into existence as either male or female and then and then my sense is that it's Jesus who helps us Unite those mm-hmm. two very different embodied experiences, living as human beings, mm-hmm. um, and and I would say that the most radical otherness that we experience in life is being male or female, is because I mean even more than race or culture. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's a very radical otherness, and it's really hard to. Um, understand the other person's experience without Jesus helping us to um, walk uh, walk the way of wanting to really know the other and ask for the Spirit to guide us um, mm-hmm. because it it's hard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I think I think absolutely. I uh, it, it's it's your point of this issue. You know, when I think about. When Paul talks about now you know in Christ, you know there's neither, and he begins to talk about the great divisions uh, in our society and one of course is ethnicity, so jew or Greek, you know the other is economic, um, you know kind of slave or owner, but then the third is he he really does get to this issue of of gender, you know male or female, and of the three, um, in terms of my work in the city all these years. Um, I would completely agree with you that it has been um, this issue um, around gender that has been most difficult Um, and I I think about cities and the healing of cities uh, and how if we could get this particular issue right um, we could get a long ways down the road in terms of seeing our cities become playgrounds rather than battlegrounds so yeah i yeah I agree yeah. yeah well, let me then maybe turn a little bit to the the negative, given the fact that you know uh we've had this sort of reality of of the feminine voice not being heard uh or being at least marginalized um what what is it that you think has been lost um, in the voice? The Feminine voice not being heard at the level that it needs to be
2: um, Well, I, I think it it affects everything in terms of our um, Our worldview our understanding of who God is um, I, Well I guess I don't. I'm not sure if this is really answering your question, but I, I've been pondering a lot on the relationship between eros and agape, and mm. I think what's lost is that one of the things that's lost is that when people are sharing a passion for ministry and they they're sharing a common vision. It's very. It creates a lot of passion and excitement, and I think people can get confused about that. And they turn, they turn the passion for the calling, the shared calling, towards each other instead of keeping, instead of knowing that it's given for the for the sake of the world. Hmm.
3: Um, That's very and well said.
2: So, yeah, and so mm-hmm. so there's different ways that people deal with that. They, they they try to make it agape. They try to make that passion which feels very erotic and exciting. They try to cover it over with saying this is agape love or they get confused and act out with each other. Mm-hmm. Or and I've seen that over and over again in the church, you know, where male and female clergy work together and they just get confused about that hmm. um, and so I think it's really important to be able to acknowledge that there's going to be excitement and passion when you're sharing ministry for a city mm-hmm. um, and to understand what it is so that you don't get scared of it mm-hmm. and and um, and direct it the right way uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so um, yeah. and I think I think that's one of the things that limits us because we don't know what it is and we're, we get scared of it or we try to repress it and push it under, you know.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And
2: then ministry suffers, you know, too, if you try to push it under. Um,
1: yep, yep. Well, so, yeah, to, to, to that point, Jean, just because you, you've kind of got this going in my head here, so I'm thinking about the many um, men and really even women Um, who are out there in cities whose tradition uh, you know, I mean, we can debate why the tradition sits there, but their tradition nonetheless, um, in effect, does not include women. And they think that, you know, um, holding on to this somewhat masculine, you know, hierarchical sense um, is really the way God has ordained it. Where? so I guess one how do you work with them and two where do you go in the text uh to try to help maybe massage or sort of bring them to a a place where you think um, it would be a bit more life-giving a bit more generous by way of working with uh, all voices
2: Well, I mean, I think the Galatians' passion in Christ, there is no male or female. You know, there, I think in Christ we all are equal and one, mm-hmm. and certainly we bring different gifts and different strengths to the table. But, but I, I, I think that the life-giving Spirit calls us all to be fully um, who we were created to be, and I remember some years back, I, I found this when I was doing my doctoral work on power and authority in women, and um, there was a study done by a group of people who studied what spiritual maturity was for men and for women. And um, and for women, it was like take, taking care of the children in church, being being quiet, you know, all the... Kind of the hidden qualities. and then for men it was, you know, being able to speak in the church and blah blah blah. And when they looked at that in terms of what was psychological health for human beings, it all lined up under men. Um, and and it's not psychologically healthy for for women to have to repress their gifts and calling just mm-hmm. because of their gender.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so so I think that's an old uh, remnant of, yeah. you know, how men and women should be. and, And I mean, I don't want to get too psychological, but I think sometimes men have to face their fears of being dominated by women and, you know, if they had a dominant mother or something, Mm -hmm. who knows, but, and avoid stereotyping of, uh, you know, a woman is pushy or aggressive if she's passionate and strong about, about something, you know, and so those are just old stereotypes that I think we just have to work with inside of ourselves. I mean, we all have these shadows of, I mean, I have, shadow stuff about men, given my history, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think we all do have these stereotypes that that hopefully in a loving community with one another we can bring those to light yeah. and have them be healed you know, rather yep. than just having live with them hidden and then pass them on to the next generation <laughs> you know?
3: That's right,
1: that's right Gene, so, um, Rick's got a question for you
0: Hey Gene I have a... Um, a question here that was based on my mom who just was in the hospital and I went to visit her and um, she said, now, uh, I have a male nurse and he's actually quite good. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and, and I was saying, well, why, why would you think, you know, that he wouldn't be good? Well, you know, she said, well, you know, typically, you know, um, the, you know, the men are the doctors, you know, and this is this is her point of view. And it, it made me wonder um, what do you think is the relationship between uh, the empowerment of women and um, giving men permission to be nurturing? Because I think that's kind of the other side of the coin uh, in terms of the stereotypes. Do you think there's, that's, a uh, is there any hope for the future in that area?
2: Oh, yes. I mean, absolutely. I, I just think, we do categorize men who, who are more gentle and nurturing and um, categorize them in a negative way, and we say they aren't manly, maybe, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's, that's uh, like you say, this man was a really good nurse, and he was gentle. And so we deprive ourselves of you know, both ways by stereotyping, um, and saying that, you know, this person is too feminine and they're a man or they're too masculine and they're a woman, you know. Um, it's it's something I think we have to work on together to not um, stereotype and categorize each other so that we can be fully who we were created to be, um, yeah. well, no I, matter what our gender is. Yeah. I agree. I don't I think- know. Does that...
0: No, that I appreciate that, yeah, because I, I mean, I think even, um, I don't know, this is kind of a little bit dated, but I remember there was a movie with, uh, I think it was Meet the Fockers or, you know, one of those, you know, where they, the 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 potential um, son-in-law was going to be a nurse, and, you know, the big joke in the movie was, uh, what happened? Like, so what happened at medical school? Why well, you can't, you couldn't step up and, you know, really, and so I think that one of the things that's could be beautiful about the church is to see Jesus as you know, as the great nurse, as much as the great physician, you know, to see the nurturing side of Jesus and, you know, to hopefully, uh, you know, blast some holes and, you know, and where we were stuck.
2: Oh, I I love that. That's a great, (laughs) that's a great metaphor. The great nurse as well as the great physician. (laughs) Yeah. And again, that's, that's just working with our language, Mm -hmm. you know, about our language for God and for Jesus. Um, to expand it and uh, Embrace a fuller fuller language um,
1: Yeah, well, you know, you know, it's also interesting Jean um, To kind of build a little bit on what Rick said and I think here about my own life. I remember um, So I'm the oldest of three boys, but the dominant um, Reality of my existence growing up were two grandmothers and a mother and they were wonderful and loving my my dad was not in the picture and so all of a sudden i kind of jump into this faith world and of course all i hear about is father this father that and of course everyone's singing praise songs and it has just this weird echo chamber in me like this doesn't quite resonate and i remember pretty early on um, Beginning to look for a theology that would actually help, you know Put its arms around this really important part of my life, which was my two grandmothers and mother So fast forward um, I stumble across um, Paul's letter to Timothy and remember in the beginning of the letter He is trying to buck up young Timothy and he says now Timothy says, you know be of good courage because I've seen The faith of your grandmother and your mother that is in you and um, I remember sitting there and noticing two things one there was no mention of the father Um, Mm -hmm. and the idea that you could be one of Paul's close companions and not have to have a father to sort of qualify you was really good news for someone like me who you know did not come from a traditional family. But the second piece of it, Gene, that was so fascinating, particularly for those of us that work in cities, is of course one of our dominant sociological realities is that so many of the households um, are led by you know, the matriarch and how often because it doesn't have this sort of traditional family structure um, that we just say well then nothing good can come from it and to be able to come back and say perhaps Timothy is the patron saints uh, of those families who don't come from a traditional um, you know kind of understanding but that does not disqualify you and I think that gets to some of what you're describing in terms of you know in Jesus, there is a kind of wider platform to begin to consider these sorts of things, um, and it really becomes good news moving forward.
2: Yes, yes, I love that passage from Timothy, and I it, it reminds me of um, of when I did study the the male and female rectors in the Diocese of Virginia and I, I was, I don't know what I was expecting about what their qualities would be for making them successful in heading a church. These were rectors, both male and female, mm-hmm. and and what I found was that even though they might have started from a different place, they all embodied both what I would consider masculine and feminine qualities. Um, they had the nurture, mm-hmm. which, which Ministers generally have because if you're going to do pastoral care you have to have that feminine caring what was traditionally called feminine mm-hmm. and then the other side to make decisions, you have to have the ability to make decisions and um and discipline uh, What I like about this an ethic of friendship and and um nurture and discipline is that discipline becomes not your dad's going to come home and he and he's going to punish you right. you know but rather right. discipline in the form of mutual holding each other mutually accountable so that and it trans and nurture is not just soft without mm-hmm. any
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know any accountability so it, it by by looking at it from both masculine and feminine sides and i think all of us probably have healthy some healthy and unhealthy both in us you know cuz none of us had perfect families or parenting uh but in community we can grow and heal and 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 i mean i think the eucharist is about remembering the body and so mm-hmm. together as we remember um, and are transformed by that, then there's a whole a whol- holiness, wholeness about mm-hmm. our ministry together, mm-hmm. um, rather than it being so lopsided, you know. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Well, that's a, uh, I love that, I, I you know, that, that notion that the Eucharist is not only, of course, accounting for, you know, the vertical relationship, uh, but But probably as much, you know, even the horizontal, and that the two are together. Um, And so, with that, Gene, maybe here we are, leadership foundations. We're in 70 plus cities around the world. Um, We are, you know, in effect, um, driving our wheel of permanent change, which is engaging leaders of good faith and goodwill, developing the capacity of others, and creating joint um, uh, areas of service. But I oftentimes say that, in effect, to use biblical language, it's really creating tables so that our cities can grow. With that as background, what would you say are important for our local leadership foundations and really the LF organization as a whole to be thinking about, to be considering as we try to become a more inclusive organization moving forward specifically as it relates, uh, to the female voice, um, y- you know, if you were uh, king or queen for the day, what would be the things you'd say, do these things, uh, remember these things, practice these things to become that kind of organization?
2: Well, um, uh, w- let me preface this by saying that, um, the couple of times that I've heard leadership foundation women make presentations like on the scripture um, or in a small group where I've sat with mm-hmm. some of the women that had leadership foundations. I mean, they, I have been so impressed by their, their um, groundedness mm-hmm. in who they were and their understanding of the scriptures. So, so you've attracted, I think some really Mm. Fabulous women to start with, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and I, of course is, yeah. i
2: don 't know everybody but I just know a few, but the just the ones i 've met i uh, I just think are great so so i don 't think you're starting from a i mean i think you 're starting pretty far up the up the food chain yeah. <laughs> with yep. this oh thank um, you and then i I would say that um one quality that I think is well, it's a skill, really, is learning how to be in dialogue with the other, um, where you might feel differences. So that would be one thing. And of course, I learned that from the whole Imago relationship therapy community about how to be in dialogue with the other Mm. and truly listen to what they're saying. And, um, be able to hold my defensiveness and even let it go in Mm -hmm. order to really see what makes sense about what the other is saying. Because as long as you feel like you've got the answer or you know what's right, you can't really be open to what the other is saying. Mm -hmm. So I think true dialogue allows safety of expression for a person to speak their truth and another to hear it. And then in that process, it's a, sacred, it's a sacred space for something new to emerge, for the Spirit to work and mm-hmm. transform what might have been a difference or conflict into something positive and an opening of a new way to go. That people have to be willing to be disciplined and learn mm-hmm. how to be in dialogue, in true dialogue. Um, and and
1: be willing to be changed. Um, So just a real quick, I I love the fact that you kind of um, did a little mid course correction and viewed that as a skill. um, Because I I think there are, there's a false notion that, well, either I'm a dialoguer or I'm a monologuer. um, And it's like, uh, no, you you don't get off the hook that quickly or easily. um, That, being able to dialogue is something that people can learn and that an organization can learn how to do it. And it almost, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, Jean, but it gets to a place of creating the culture of an organization itself that lifts up dialogue um, and rewards that and then tries, you know, conversely to minimize um, that sort of instinct in all of us to want to monologue and just, you know, get our opinion out regardless of whether or not there's anybody listening. So, um, I think that's a great comment by you.
2: Yeah, that, and and then the other thing is where there's conflict, there's opportunity. It's not a bad thing as long as people are willing to be in dialogue because that, that opens up, I mean, where there's conflict, there's obviously a diversity of opinion, and that's not bad. You know, it's it's um, the opportunity for new life and growth and healing and all of that. So, mm-hmm. so being willing to get get somewhat comfortable with conflict, and nobody likes conflict, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, nobody likes that somebody's angry. And but I think to be willing to walk into that. Um, knowing that your intention is that the relationship is important, and that that what we're looking for is a way to go forward together, not for one to dominate another, um, is is the way to enter those kind of um, mm-hmm. those kind of struggles.
1: So, and, and would you say too that at least as it relates to conflict? Um, I mean, my again, kind of. Experience has been that if there isn't a sense and maybe even stronger than that a confidence that people in conflict um, Have the safety valve of forgiveness that it's very difficult to do conflict Um, I mean like you said nobody likes it, but it even becomes more difficult if you don't have confidence that there is a a kind of demonstrable way for this to be reconciled ie forgiveness um, so I know in leadership foundations this we've had this conversation and um, one of the things I try to describe at least on the front end is kind of a rule of engagement that that we have this great gift of being able to forgive one another if we get to a place where you know we're just sideways and kind of don't know how to move um, going forward is that Also, been your experience about the importance of forgiveness and.
2: Right. Forgiveness, but also a willingness to agree to disagree for now. Um, Hmm. That we don't have to, unless a decision has to be made that minute. Hmm. um, People can walk away and say, you know, I've heard what you say. You know, we we can't dialogue about this anymore. Um, So we see it differently. And that's okay, you know. And we'll come back to it um, if, as if when it comes up again. So I just don't think you can always have agreement.
3: Yeah. Um, right.
2: Uh, so, it, so forgiveness and a willingness to, because I think that's a sign of um, differentiation, you know, if you can agree to disagree mm-hmm. and not feel like, well, you have to give in, you know, because somebody has to win this or. Um, but you can also say, "Well, I think you have the stronger point, and we have to make a decision. So I'll go with this for the good of the whole." Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still feel this way about it, you know. And then let it go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's you no, know?
1: that's great. Well, we are getting close to the end of our time, and so of course, um, I find myself saying. I have to ask her this question um, now i 'll preface this i 'll preface this Jean by saying that we won 't ask you kind of who you will actually vote for um, but but i am I am curious I mean with you know the possibility of the u s having you know for the first time a female president, um, maybe just a couple thoughts on what you think might be the implications of Hillary being elected and what that would do um, to voices being included at the table, specifically as it relates to uh, female.
2: Well, um, I I think Hillary is going to have a huge challenge if she gets elected. Um, and I think right now it's hard for a woman to um, Stay connected to her femininity um, because you have to build up walls. To, g- given that you're being attacked so much as, as she is, and so I think to maintain mm. the balance of her her fabulous mind and her her experience and. Her willingness to say, I've made some mistakes or I've changed my mind, which is human, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I think that if she can if she can um, kind of connect with her. Nurturing I mean she has it obviously with her daughter and her grandchildren and mm-hmm. so forth, you know but um but I think it's very hard to model that for other women and so mm-hmm. i i i would I hope for that and i, I other countries have had women leaders and yeah, um exactly and and we're kind of behind the eight ball on that but i I just um I just pray for her that she'll be able to. Um, and, and I think whoever, whoever is in this position, especially now, even a even a good leader with experience is going to have a really tough time. And it will be the anything negative that happens if she is elected it will be because of she's a woman and she can't do this and she can't do that you know right so I think we have to be careful um, to not let that go by and not confront it you know that anyone in that role male or female is going to have some tough challenges Um, but I think it's good I think I think we're ready um, Mm -hmm. as Although there, I'm, I've been absolutely amazed at the amount of hatred that is there, or that I think is gender, mm-hmm. um, it comes from gender,
3: mm-hmm. yep.
2: fear, um, that that has kind of come out from under the rocks, so yeah. to speak.
3: Yeah. And yeah.
2: That, that kind of amazed me that we still have that much of it in our uh, citizenry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll just, you know, it's we're going to all have to pull our weight on this one, I think. If, hopefully mm-hmm. she'll get elected, and, and uh, it'll be up to all of us, I think, to mm-hmm. support her through prayer and however else we can. Mm-hmm. Um, to have values, the values of, I think, who we are as Americans and people of spirit, whether we're Muslim, Christian, or Jew, you know, or whatever, that, mm-hmm. that those values of of uh, being in a relationship to a loving God who's just and caring will will win over the fear and hatred that's being fanned. Um, yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. You bet. Um, Rick's got another question here, Gene. Well, Jean, okay. I, just, I just wanted to thank you for, like, uh, your time also, but for the... Some of the language that you use has been really helpful to me. Um, I think sometimes um, we get into a right, wrong, bad, good, like you said, an ethic of dominance and competition kind of language. And I just love it when you talk about healthy and unhealthy, you know, which Mm. it just takes away the, I don't know, it's just it's more inviting, you know, because all of us can, you know, uh, you know, we can see that, yeah, we we certainly – uh, want to be healthy, but we we are unhealthy in areas And so one of the things I was going to tell you which is I think was an encouragement to me, and I think um, Is what I hear you saying is I just attended last week a, a Symposium a global health care agency uh, that does great work. Uh, they're faith-based and they, they're actually providing uh, health care uh, their primary health care for um, most of the refugees on the ugandan border from the civil war in congo and also in, in northern iraq so they're doing some really significant work but this they've been in existence for 40 years and th- they just had their very first uh female ceo that's what we were doing at this ah. yeah and so they've had three a founder and two other ceos that were male and this is their first female ceo and so we were at this weekend where she was introduced and one of the things um I had a chance to talk to her for just a second and I knew I personally knew the prior CEO and you know his skill set and all that and so I asked her what's your plan and my my friend the prior CEO was quite the financial wizard and you know and fundraising guy and all that and so this is what she said to me "Um, I'm gonna start with 100 days of listening Uh, (laughs) and I just uh I I just kind of just was totally like I wanted to kind of, I don't know, get on my knees and hug her or something because it was just it was so refreshing than some, you know, sort of 12 page PowerPoint, you know, you know, thing that she was going to do. And I just uh-huh. thought I could see it even in this weekend. She was sort of drawing people out, you know, uh-huh. and in versus, you know, what can happen when when there's a change in leadership, people start, you know, like hiding and putting all their stuff in cardboard boxes, you know, in case their job is gone. And she was just want to hear. And anyway, I just I felt like, wow, um, what a what a unique difference. And I am I guess I was uh, kind of attributing that to, you know, to, in a big way to gender because she just has a different kind of leadership that we need.
2: Uh huh. Yeah. So she's definitely leading with the, a feminine style uh, of leadership. And then. And then she will have to, of course, be able to raise money and make decisions and all of that. So that's where the other side will come in, hopefully, um, because that those gifts are needed, too. Or she'll hire somebody who can do it if she knows she, she's not good at it. Yep. So, yeah, that's the challenge, isn't yeah. it, for all of us? Absolutely. To, yeah, live Absolutely. out of our strengths and then the community hopefully picks up (laughs) what we don't have since we don't have all the gifts, but (laughs) that's a great story.
1: Thank you, Rick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Gene, that's really a great segue just to uh, conclude and say that um, one of the great gifts that you have been to Leadership Foundations all these years, and I know in particular my eight years as president and taking Reed's place has been exactly what you just described, and that's being able to Lovingly look into the leadership foundations, uh, believe in us, um, be a champion of our idea of cities becoming playgrounds rather than battlegrounds. But being able to say, and you know, you might want to work on maybe this area and this area and this area. And uh, I just want you to know, Gene, both as a uh, a friend and a mentee of yours, uh, as well as the. Uh, uh, person who's helping lead LF, your voice has been uh, just overwhelmingly valuable. Um, thank you for uh, taking this time.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. Well, love and blessings to you all, and I'll look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Great, thanks, Jean. All right.
1: Okay. blessings. Okay.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Well, that was fantastic, and uh, once again, we really appreciate Jean's time and and uh, her input on this topic, and it's very. Uh, um, inspiring I think to think about uh, what's possible a- as we begin to replicate uh, Jesus at the table and being inclusive like Gene was talking about.
1: Yeah I, I uh, am finding myself sitting here going I just can't believe um, what I just had a chance to sit and listen to uh, the depth of theology of sociology really of of kind of psychology and how all of those kind of came together in the seamless kind of way. I mean, I, it's, it's really something, like you said, I want to, when I grow up, be like Gene Milliken. So mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for the time.
0: Yeah, it's great. Well, it's, it's one of the things I think a podcast does for us is, you know, there's that uh, television show where they look for talent. It's called The Voice and looking for singers. And when they started out, nobody can see who the person is. And I think there's still a sense in which you can kind of perceive a gender, maybe, maybe not, but at least you don't see them, and they're selected that way. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. um, that's what's beautiful about uh, this medium is that it's it's um, audio, not video, and so it, you know, it's just voices mm-hmm. that just speak into our lives, and we can kind of step back from, you know, the race, culture, gender thing a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And so, wow, what a what a, a great reminder of uh, who the body of Christ really is mm-hmm. and how much we need each other mm-hmm. so thank you for listening and uh, again if you have any input for us it's uh, it's just an email away at leadershipfoundations.org and uh, share with your friends and get them to sign up for our podcast because we'll go keep them coming thanks Dave thank you Rick